others talking. World Talk Radio, Studio A. Where do you find identification disks? We'll find out where to hunt for them when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. When I was 12, my father was killed in an industrial accident at a vacant lot where he worked. My mother insisted I stay in the highway on-ramp to get an education. So she took a job uh, waiting tables at a parking garage to support us. She worked double shifts, and on her break, she would pick me up from the highway on-ramp and drop me off at the big office building, and I'd spend hours and hours just reading books. I remember every Saturday we'd have breakfast at the parking garage. And I'd tell her what I had read. And her eyes would just light up. <laughs> because she knew I'd end up in college, not working at the vacant lot like my dad. When we lose a historic place, we lose a part of who we are. To learn how you can help protect places in your community, visit nationaltrust.org. History is in our hands. A message brought to you by the National Trust for Historic Preservation and the Ad Council. Hey, y'all. This is Stephen Cochran. As a country artist, I have traveled around this great country of ours, often meeting our brave men and women in uniform. And as a Marine and veteran of both the Iraq and Afghan conflict, I know how important it is to thank our troops who defend our freedom each and every day. One of the best ways to thank them is to give their children and spouses the gift of education. Scholarships for two years, four years, and vocational school. This is exactly what a national charity, Thanks USA, does. Please go to their website, www.thanksusa.org, to make a generous donation to the Thanks USA Scholarship Fund for the families of the troops, and I thank you. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Joseph W. Stahl, co-author of a book called Identification Discs of Union Soldiers in the Civil War. These identification discs were the forerunners of modern dog tags, but they weren't government-issued in the Civil War. Soldiers had to buy their own, and enough of them have survived to give us uh, insight into what uh, what they were like and, and uh, a little hint of what soldiers valued in life. There's, uh, uh, as I was preparing for this uh, interview this afternoon, I happened to be listening to the radio and hearing a uh, another interview with a Civil War author on a different uh, network. This was uh, Drew Faust talking about her book on the Republic of Suffering, and she was discussing the nature of death in the Civil War and how soldiers dreaded the idea of being uh, anonymous in death, that the Victorian age came to terms with death and dying. They, they thought about it. Death was not, as in our culture, something uh, never to be mentioned, but rather something that people were constantly aware of because it was more frequent, lifespans were shorter, in the sense that uh, an awareness of one's own mortality could uh, sharpen and enhance life rather than detract from it. With all that in mind, there was a, a proper way to die, surrounded by one's loved ones, making appropriate professions of faith, 
Uh, and the Civil War interrupted that. Uh, death could become lonely and isolated. And worst of all, the body might never be recovered, especially if it weren't identified. So these identification disks uh, really uh, are, are a physical reminder of how important it was to these soldiers that they not be lost in death, that their bodies be recovered, uh, that their loved ones know what happened to them. And uh, so they were willing to spend their own money. Uh, Joe, you mentioned we don't know how much these cost, but you, you suggest it was probably uh, uh, not particularly cheap to get these. Is that right? Well, the, the, the silver shields, the advertised prices in like Harper's Weekly were like a buck and a half, two bucks, three bucks, which is a lot. Um, there is one reference that we have no basis, uh, uh, a well-known collector 15 years ago in a letter to an editor in a Civil War magazine said that he had seen in a soldier's letter that he paid 25 cents for one. Uh, Larry and I both went searching <laughs> all over the place looking for that, and we could never run it down. So we don't know if that's really valid. We have no proof, but that that does not seem that seems more reasonable for a private soldier who's making $13 a month to be willing to spend 25 cents or 50 cents. And one of the things that I should point out is that um, there is evidence that soldiers not infrequently bought two of them, and they kept one, which they wore or carried in their pocket or around their neck, and they uh, sent the other one home as a, as a token. And sometimes we see them with different stamping. I have one in my collection, it's in the book, where the soldier in the 153rd New York actually had stamped on the disc to my mother. So that was a, you know, a token or reminder that he had sent home. So sometimes when we get it, I get a disc that's in really nice condition, uh, not much wear, my, my suspicion is that this is one, the, one of the pair that was sent home was put in a jewelry box and or put on a shelf and set aside as a reminder, you know, and so it didn't get worn. Conversely, lots of them are very heavily worn, and I have seen ones um, at Civil War shows where they were on a watch fob or a watch chain, and they're very worn. And it, you think back to what you were talking about, and it was a good luck choking maybe. And a guy was proud of it, and so he carried it in his pocket for years afterwards. And so there, it's quite worn because it was a token that, or a reminder that he carried in his pocket. What what were these things made of? Uh, primarily brass and what we've called in the book white metal or pewter. Um, we have not seen discs like this. Uh, made out of silver. Now, the ones that are made out of pewter um, or white metal, we don't have the metallurgy experience to tell exactly what it is, but pot metal, uh, they tend to corrode very badly when they're in the ground in northern Virginia because the ground's very acidic. But they did have frequently a silver wash was put on them or a gold wash. And so you can see sometimes around the halos, if you've familiar with what happens on coins, of course, how they wear the high spots and the low spots. So you can, you can sometimes see the remains of the gold wash. Uh, but the basic metal, the most common ones, are brass. Uh, you asked a question earlier about the designs, and the most common one was, and the patriotic motif was, was the eagle, and it said War of 1861. 
And then the, probably the next most common is uh, General McClellan uh, in a ver- number of various uh, dies, followed closely by George Washington, and then uh, we see a shield, and then other lesser-known people, um, Franz Siegel shows up occasionally. Uh, Grant does not show up. It's a phenomenon that seems to be much more, again, potentially maybe because of where the manufacturing was, with the Army of the Potomac or the Army of the, the Eastern Theater. We do not see very many at all from Western regiments, from Grant's armies out in, in Tennessee and Kentucky. So yeah, you don't they, see much of Grant. And you see not too many of Abraham Lincoln, although they do show up occasionally. You said the uh, in the ground, uh, you know, the acid and soil affects them. Uh, now, if somebody wanted to start collecting uh, these today, the Civil War show seems like a large, logical place to start. But where do the dealers get them? Uh, at some point, they must come out of the ground. Can I just go to the nearest uh, national park battlefield with my metal detector and start looking for these? Uh, you do that, and you'll end up in jail. Oh, <laughs> it's illegal to metal detect on that on National Park Service grounds. They will confiscate your detector and your car, and you will not be in very good shape. Let me, so don't do that. <laughs> okay, listeners, you've been warned. Don't do that. Um, do people Actually, most of them show where up. Find, where do they come from? Primarily, oh. from we find they come from the states, and uh, not surprisingly, sometimes in, in coins, because they look like coins, and so they're in a coin collection. A coin collector is acquired a, a bunch of coins, and there'll be one or two in it. Um, so they, they tend to be coming out of where a family or somebody like me who's a collector who passes away and the kids of the family isn't interested, so they sell them, so they recirculate, shall we say. Uh, but they, yeah. they tend to show up in, in estate sales and things like that. Now, let's say somebody is, is selling them, uh, and that way the kids are selling them. They have no idea what dad or grandpa had here. Right. Um, so they, they can't tell you anything about them. How does the collector know that these, uh, that the kids aren't trying to fool anyone, but right. maybe some of these aren't real, aren't authentic. How, how do you authenticate these? Uh, the best way to answer that question is uh, it takes ex- experience. I've looked at hundreds of them. We have a chapter in the book on authentication. One of the things that's, is that the, the lettering in the 1860s was significantly different in terms of fonts from modern-day letters, the way they made the letters, where the, the little tails are on E's and T's and S's. If you look at a modern typeface, it's different. And that's a clue to the period. Um, and, of course, the dyes are... Or the materials, they are in. They are not cast. There are some modern reproductions that are sold to reenactors that are cast. And if you get used to it and you stare at a few, you can you can tell a casting from a, a minted coin just by the texture and the feel and the surface. And so uh, a cast is where where the molten metal is poured into a mold. Right. And and the minted coins where it's physically stamped. struck, yes. stamped. Yeah, so you get a different texture on the materials and, and coloration. And a, uh, a cast one someplace there, unless there's a, if they've done it very, very well, there's the little knob because they've got to have a little hole where they pour the metal in, and you can look for that. 
Now, I can understand people making reproductions, perhaps for reenactors. Is there a market for counterfeit uh, discs? We have seen a few. Um, the most uh, well-known one, and if you go on uh, the major online auction, you'll see some every so often. About uh, eight years ago, there was what was purported to be a silver dollar, half dollar, I'm sorry, uh, I think it was dated 1861, where one side had supposedly been ground down by a jeweler and engraved, not stamped, but engraved in it, was the name Dorsey Pender, 6th North Carolina Volunteer Infantry. Uh, Dorsey Pender, if that name doesn't ring a bell to you, was later a Confederate Major General, and it had CSA on it. And this caused a lot of interest because was it real? Uh, shortly thereafter, five or six more showed up, and then about four names showed up, and uh, it was someone, the first couple sold for a fair amount of money, and then very quickly everybody figured out their fakes. And uh, they started selling for like five dollars or ten dollars. Yeah, that's more like it. I'll say if anyone's listening to this show, uh, Dorsey Pender probably rings a bell for them. That's, yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, likely the case. So there are reproductions of these. There are the ones made for reenactors. There are a few people unscrupulously trying to produce them. Yeah, um, I thought it was interesting. You mentioned in your book that uh, 19th century luggage tags are sometimes yes. mistaken for these. Yes. And it's it's one of the things that uh, that uh, because it was not necessarily done deliberately because it <coughs> excuse me uh, you think about the GRR reunions and GRR medals and things like that um, uh, it's one of the things that I looked into another subject area is is core badges which were very common and soldiers bought them especially later sure. on and they were sold quite a bit. Uh, we're we're yeah. just about out of time, so I have yeah. to interrupt you. Let me ask two quick, uh, short answer questions. Okay. Uh, how much uh, How much should you pay for one of these if it's in good condition? If it's in good condition in a good regiment, i.e., a regiment that did some fighting, they're running right now anywhere between seven hundred and fifty dollars and fifteen hundred dollars, depending oh. on the regiment and the soldiers' records. And last question: How many do you have in your collection? Uh, I'm approaching 90. Excellent. Well, the, we are unfortunately out of time, so we'll have to stop with that. Uh, but I will urge listeners, if you're curious about this and want to know more, uh, Identification Discs of Union Soldiers in the Civil War, published by McFarland, is the place to go. Our guest has been Joseph W. Stahl. Joe, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Talking World Talk Radio Studio A. 